To begin our message today, we're just going to watch a short little video. Brought the pie. How many of you have ever seen that video before? Any of you? It's been floating around churches for at least, well, you saw it on Thursday night. Uh, I think 2008, so I've probably seen that. Uh, I understand my inbox is probably a little different than your inbox, but uh, I've seen that at probably two or three churches throughout the last 13 years. And I get it. Um, There's some things that I don't uh, necessarily like. There's a pet peeve of mine. I hate it when the Lord Almighty is only shown as the old grandpa every time. Um, God's not this weak uh, old guy. Also, I mean, he's wise. He's old. I'm not. That's no offense to anybody who's an old grandpa out there. Uh, but, but he's also the Lord Almighty. So I don't like it when God is just depicted as a grandfatherly type. But that's not the point of the video. Uh, the point of the video is to talk about how we manage the gifts 
uh, that God has given to us. In fact, you and I even often talk about it as what piece of the pie goes to this area of our life. If you have your budget on an Excel spreadsheet, you maybe even have a, a little uh, pie chart to show, okay, I spend this much here and this much here, and you know, a house gets this much of the piece of the pie, and car or cars or, or hobbies or fashion or, or whatever else, education. And so we have all those things that go on there. And, and the way that depicted it was pretty typical, how we divvy things out. And then he gets right down to the end and it throws this whole big old guilt trip on you, all right? Who's going to get the last piece of the pie? Me or God? You contrast that to the way that the Apostle Paul talked about stewardship or generosity in the second lesson that I read earlier, it is, is quite dramatically different. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, uh, those chapters are what many would consider the classic chapters of the Bible when it comes to, again, generosity or management of gifts, stewardship, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so I was not surprised when I pulled off this uh, devotion book off of my shelf. I've used this in the past. It's a month's worth of devotions on generosity. And sure enough, I counted them up this week, and one in, practically one in four of the devotions are based on 2 Corinthians 8 or 2 Corinthians 9. So what's going on in Corinth, the city in Greece, that lends itself to the Apostle Paul spending some time on this topic of generosity? At the time that Paul is writing this, he is, he is um, he's fundraising, I guess you might say. He is gathering a, a collection, an offering from churches in Greece and Asia Minor uh, for the mother church, Jerusalem, and the poor people among Jerusalem. And as he goes around from city to city, from church to church, he wants to make sure that, you know, they know that they are, well, that everything's above board, uh, that there's no shady business going on. He, know, he wants to make sure that they're well-informed. He wants to make sure that they're properly motivated. Uh, like I said, he wants to make sure that there's no questions about any, you know, misappropriation of funds. It's the same thing we try to do here. Uh, it's the same reason why we have two people from not the same family count the offerings after church, and we have another person, uh, you know, put the entry into the data and, uh, database, and another person reports. So there's always checks and balances, and that's why um, up here after service today, you can pick up. Uh, these are your, I would say, your ministry investment um, statements, not just your financial statements, but it's a record of your giving. Uh, to the Lord and, and some of the ways that you're, you're giving it to be a blessing. So pick yours up after church uh, today. But, but we want to do the same thing. And, and Paul doesn't just, and so what does Paul do? He, he, he makes sure, okay, they have two people who carry this offering from town to town, not him. Uh, so there's two different people. He, he points to other people as as models, says, oh, look at what those people are doing. Not to break them up, but to maybe be a pace setter, to be, a, like I said, a model. And that's valuable for us to do, too. When we see somebody else being generous, we're maybe, oh, I could, I could step up. I could do that. Uh, you see Paul in, in Corinth, and the, he, he starts coaching them up. And he says, man, you started off great. Now, now finish the deal. You know, you know finish strong. 
He uses illustrations. I don't know if you heard it, uh, what, I, what I read before earlier, but he, uh, he, he uses the illustration of a farmer sowing seed. And there's, there's value when it comes to money and offerings to maybe using illustrations to make it a little bit more concrete, a little bit more understandable. Uh, so he uses all these things. He, he even deals with what he could see as potential barriers, reluctance, guilt. He says, hey, settle down. Don't worry about it. God loves the cheerful giver. All right? Don't feel like you're being forced to do this. And then he paints a beautiful picture at the end. He says, oh, let me, let me tell you that how this is all going to turn out. People are giving thanksgiving to God. And so he covers the whole gamut. You could really say 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is the manual for if you're ever running a fundraiser, not just in church, but if you are running any kind of fundraiser, read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Perfect manual. But if that's all you see it as, only a manual on how to raise funds, we'd be missing one of the most beautiful points that Paul had in here. One of the most beautiful statements of all of Scripture. And I don't know if you caught it. You know, if I would ask you right now, and I purposely read it earlier, but if I, if I asked you, well, what was 2 Corinthians 9 about? You'd maybe, you'd maybe come up with generosity, giving. But I don't know if you'd catch the other thing. I was right in the middle of it. So let's review uh, what Paul writes again uh, to these people as he says, this is what I mean. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The one who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give as he has determined in his heart, not reluctantly or under pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace overflow to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will overflow in every good work. As it is written, he scattered. He gave to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. And he who provides seed to the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed for sowing and will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you may be generous in every way which produces thanksgiving to God through us. Did you catch it? Right in the middle of that beautiful section, God is able to make all grace overflow to you. Grace. It's one of those big little words of the Bible. We often define it as God's undeserved love. Why talk about it here? Middle of John 3.16, okay, there I get it. Why talk about it here? Because when we're talking about the topic of generosity, what is the focus often on? It's often on what I am able to do or what we are able to do as a congregation or what we are able to do as a community. But God takes us a step back here. The Apostle Paul takes us a step back and says, wait, before you thought, think about what you're able to do, Let's remember what God is able to do. God is able to make his grace overflow into your life. And why that is so important, especially when it comes to the topic of generosity, 
is because being generous is not something that comes naturally to any one of us. It wasn't natural for the Corinthians. It wasn't natural for the Ephesians. It wasn't natural for the Philippians. Any of these places that Paul went, it was not the natural thing. By nature, we are selfish. By nature, we are greedy. And if you don't believe that, look at an infant. I know we always talk, oh, they're so innocent. Really? What does an infant do? Feed me, change me, rock me, right? They're all about themselves by nature. That's how we are. And if you think that, that you're not, or if you think you're not greedy, you probably have another thing coming. Sorry to say that. You know, I, but here's what's so crazy about it. Is that greed, greed is one of those vices that I think we think everybody else has. Except for me. Um, I was listening to a po- one of the podcasts that I listen to regularly is a guy by the name of Timothy Keller. He's a retired pastor, Presbyterian pastor, huge, huge, huge church in New York City. 5,500 people come every week. And I remember listening to him uh, give a talk on this topic once, and he said, you know, of all my years of being pastoring thousands of people, I have had dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of confessions before me in my office and yet I never heard oh pastor I spent too much money on myself that greed greed is not something that we see in ourselves too easily it's it's something that somebody else struggles with it's that guy in the video he was greedy but was he was he was but but why was he what makes you think that he was greedy just because he didn't give the last piece of pie to god even if he would have given that last piece of pie to god he still could have been guilty of greed because who did the first slice of that pie go to that big piece of the pie it went to the house whose house his house Who did slices number two and three go to? His cars, his BMW, his Honda, right? And and, and it was his hobbies, and it was his fashion, and it was his education or his kid's education. It was all about him. And so it's not just necessarily the fact that, oh, I took stuff away from God, but it's this whole attitude that our, our whole lives can be geared up about how is this serving me. And, and that's what Paul warns against here, and that's why Paul points to our need for grace. You see, greed, it's not, you will never be thrown in jail for greed. Murder, Sure. You know, slandering, sure. You'll never be thrown in jail for greed. And well, Jesus, the fact that Jesus talks about greed more than any other sin directly probably gives us a clue that, yeah, this is something I need to pay attention to. 
And that greed is just as dangerous as any other sin. Greed can pull us away from Jesus. Greed can eternally affect us. Greed can lead us to be hellbound. And when we see greed as being that serious, then we ask the question, well, how do we overcome it? And the answer? The answer is one word. Grace. That's why you and I need that grace. That's why the Apostle Paul talks about grace right here. And in this situation, maybe there's a better way to define grace than just undeserved love. But let's use that, that acronym for grace that I know I've heard some of you say before, but it fits so perfectly when we talk about our need for materialism or our need for selfish, being selfish with our stuff. G-R-A-C-E can sometimes, you've heard the acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, when you think of what Jesus spent his life on, you, you, you go back a little bit. Think about everything that Jesus had at his disposal before he became the incarnate, before he took on flesh and became one of us. There he is. He's up in heaven. He's got all the glory he wants, right? The angels, the cherubim, the seraphim are singing, holy, 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 as Isaiah puts it. Uh, he's got a perfect relationship with the Trinity. He's got a perfect relationship with his Father. So life is good at home. Life is good with being, having glory sung to him. He's got everything he wants. Everything he wants, except for one thing. You. In a weird kind of way, Jesus was a good greedy. He wanted you. And so there he is in heaven, and he's got a choice to make, just kind of like that guy had a choice to make. Do I keep all this glory, or do I give it up? Do I keep this perfect relationship with my father, or do I give it up? And he looked and saw you. He said, yeah, that's what I want. And so he gave up his glory to become one of us. He gave up his perfect relationship with his father as his father turned his back on him as he carried the sins of the world there on the cross. He gave up his life to win life for you. That's how valuable you are to Jesus. That's how worth it you are to Jesus. And when that is poured into our cup, that is what makes a difference in our life. That is what changes our perspective of all the things of this world even. Right? I mean, the, the, the other blessings are still there. The hobbies, the education, the cars, the house. But those things don't make us overflow. Those just fill our cup. They don't motivate us to live for Jesus. I mean, even look at that video, right? The, before that guy you know, had an opportunity to live for God, they said, dude, he brought the pie. Yeah, so? Just because God opens up his hand of blessing 
in our life so that we can taste and see how he is good, that doesn't necessarily make us overflow and share those blessings with others. But when we realize that God has graciously spread his hands, that is what leads us to overflow. Or as Paul puts it here, look at what he says, God is able to make all grace overflow to you. Why? Because we realize that at all times and in all things, we have all that we need. When we realize that Jesus gave his life for you, when we realize that Jesus, you know, held nothing back, but gave everything for us, the result is that now I live for him. You know, again, you look at that key verse, God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that, so that you will overflow in every good work, including the good work of generosity. And so God's blessings, God's blessings, as verse 11 goes on to say here, it says, you will be made rich so that in every way you may be generous in every way, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. Amen. May the